Hello, and welcome to another Vet Team Training Podcast. My name is Amy Newfield, and I'm both the host and owner of Veterinary Team Training Podcast. Please check out all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at VetTeamTraining.com. Today, I want to talk to you about suicide awareness and also some things that you can do to helpfully help prevent suicide. This is a tough topic, but September is National Suicide Awareness Month. There is also a National Suicide Awareness Week, so depending on the organization, you may see that there's a week that they are trying to bring awareness to suicide prevention, or there's in fact an entire month. So this is a very timely topic, and for anyone in veterinary medicine, this hits home. If you are in veterinary medicine for at least six months, you have probably seen on social media or perhaps even in the news media itself that the rate of suicide in veterinary medicine is significantly higher than most any other industry. And there have been a lot of studies um, and data collected, even from the CDC. I encourage you to look it up where they even compiled data in 2018 showing that veterinarians unfortunately do have a higher rate of suicide compared to the general population. And so when data and information started coming out that there is in fact a higher rate of suicide in the veterinary profession compared to the general population, the question then started to become why? why? What is the source of stress? What is the reason? Because from an outward looking perspective, we play with puppies and kittens. We're in a fantastic profession and yet we are unfortunately riddled with one of the highest rates of suicide compared to any other profession. Most people who are looking from an outside perspective who don't know the industry immediately think that it must be uh, the high rate of euthanasia or watching animals you know, suffer that unfortunately drives veterinarians and veterinary technicians and client service representatives to that high rate of suicide. But in fact, when we start looking at the moral stressors of really what stresses out the profession, it's not that. It's yes... Euthanasia is in there, but it's actually towards the bottom of the list. And there's several studies that at this point have been published. But it's really about giving bad news, managing adverse events, interacting with difficult clients. In fact, difficult client interactions actually tops one of the major stresses in veterinary medicine. Working in teams is is set to be very stressful. Uh, Balancing work and home life is also very stressful. And certainly high school debt is also up there. And so from an outsider's perspective, they often think that the tragedy that we see in veterinary medicine where animals may be suffering and unfortunately we have to participate in that euthanasia is the driving force behind suicide. But in actuality, it's usually not that. It's the other stressors that I talked about that is causing stress to the profession. Now, where the data is lacking is the exact cause of suicide. Is it all of this added stress? And one could probably deduce that this added stress that we're seeing in our profession from the difficult client interactions to the high rate of school debt, to the work-life balance, to the difficulty of working in teams, probably adds to and contributes to the anxiety and the depression and the high rate of stress that veterinary professionals feel on a daily basis. But I think that there's still a lot more data that needs to be done in this area. And I think we need to keep an open mind that what is stressful to one individual isn't necessarily stressful to another. 
And let me be clear about one other big thing. I am not a counselor. I am not a trained psychologist. I am not a social worker. I am not a licensed anything when it comes to mental health providing. So when I'm doing this podcast, I want to be very cognizant that the information I'm putting out there is largely based off of my training as a mental health first aid instructor. So I encourage you to look up the program. Mental health first aid is actually an international program started some 20 something years ago in Australia and now is a worldwide program. Its focus is not just on suicide prevention, but also just on having those mental health conversations and reducing the stigma. So please be aware that I am not a counselor, I'm not a psychologist, and I am not a licensed social worker. I encourage anyone who's struggling with mental health or knows someone who is to please reach out to a trained professional. But the purpose of this podcast is to bring awareness and also to open the door of the conversation that needs to happen, that has to happen in order for us to hopefully one day reduce the numbers of suicide in our profession. And that's really the goal of this podcast is to just drive awareness, but also to give some idea of how to start those conversations, signs that you might want to look for in people who unfortunately might be having suicidal tendencies and how to really appropriately act. For me, suicide prevention is very personal. Unfortunately, working in this profession for 23 years, my life has been touched, unfortunately, by losing colleagues. But I also went through a really dark period in my own professional life in my much younger years. I don't even recognize that version of myself, but I struggled and suffered with massive depression and anxiety and definitely questioned the meaning of life. It was a really tough period for me. And people who know me now can't even fathom that I was in such a dark place, uh, you know, 20 something years ago. But I want to also share with anyone who is listening, who is in this really terrible dark place, who feels very much alone, who's even questioning whether or not life is worth living, I want to share with you some ideas that helped me because I think that there's a lot of misconception that when someone is suffering from depression or anxiety, that they're going to be permanently stuck in that anxiety and that depression or that they're permanently going to have suicidal thoughts. And so one purpose of this podcast is to kind of talk through sort of those misconceptions and share a little bit about my own personal struggle, about being in such a dark, very dark void in my life and feeling completely hopeless to now someone who fully loves life and cannot even imagine being in such a negative, terrible headspace. And let's be clear, my journey is my journey. It doesn't pertain to anyone else other than me. And so we have to remember that everybody goes on their own journey of mental health through their lifetime. And some people have the ability to get themselves out of a terrible mind space and never go back in that terrible place again. Other people struggle lifelong with it. Whatever your journey is, it is yours. I think one of the big issues that we see where there is unfortunately a lack of conversation around the discussion of suicide is because people who have never had suicidal thoughts, who have never thought about killing themselves, really can't understand why anyone would take their own life. And when you don't understand where the other person is even remotely coming from, it's hard to start a conversation. You look at that person and think, that's crazy. Why would they kill themselves? Why would they think about suicide? 
And these type of thoughts, unfortunately, stop the conversation or the person who's having suicidal thoughts or thinking about killing themselves knows that the other individual is judging them or doesn't understand or even remotely wants to understand where they're coming from. So again, I am not a trained mental health professional. I can only tell you the information that I've seen from good sources online. And I want to just give that information to you. The people who have thought about killing themselves, who have suicidal thoughts, are struggling with a very painful mental illness. There is a pain so great inside their head and inside their heart that they feel the only way to stop that pain and that suffering is to end their life. Many of these individuals feel like they're not giving to society at all, that perhaps they're burdens, unfortunately, to society. And again, it doesn't mean that that pertains to everybody who has suicidal thoughts, but it does pertain to some of them. They feel like that they're not worthy of living, that they are actually a burden to their friends and their family, or that unfortunately life is just not worth living. And it hurts so bad that the only way to stop the pain is to end their life. That's how most people view life who are suffering from suicidal thoughts or thoughts of killing themselves. So just getting a little bit of an idea of how someone may be thinking hopefully will help individuals who have never struggled with this before get a good idea of maybe how to interact with someone who is. Let me be clear, people who are depressed and anxious and suffering other mental health trauma are not necessarily suicidal. Let's make that distinction very clear. The one and the other one do not go hand in hand all the time. So you can have a lot of anxiety, you can have a lot of depression and never had a suicidal thought. So certainly keep that in mind. Just because you have a family member who says I'm depressed doesn't necessarily mean they're thinking of killing themselves. So let's just talk about someone who's struggling with mental health because I think we in general struggle with, what do we say? I think one of the advertisements of people who see someone struggling with their mental health is the fear that they're going to need to fix the problem. Let me assure you, anytime I've ever confessed that I'm having an issue to a family member or a friend or anybody, I don't expect them to fix my problem. So the things that you should do, definitely listen to the individual without judgment. Let them just talk through their feelings. Don't jump in with solutions because a lot of times, that one, that can backfire, and two, they, unless they actually ask for your opinion, they truly just want you to be a support system. Reassure them that help is available. No matter what someone is going through, there is some type of help available. And just reassuring them and letting them know that that there is someone who can help them. But in the meantime, you're here to be their rock, to be their support. Inform that person that no matter what they're going through, it is treatable. And I know in the moment, trust me, I know, it feels like your life is falling apart and that you will never get out of it. We can mend the heart and it's really hard in that time to even imagine that's possible. But I can assure you from my own life's experiences, it is possible to move past the darkest moments in life. And then educate them that suicidal thoughts and feelings are temporary. 
They can move past suicidal feelings. They can move past the thought of wanting to kill themselves and they can do so and never look back. And so I think that's another misconception is that a lot of individuals who hear that someone thought about killing themselves or thought about committing suicide, they're always going to have those thoughts. That's not true. There are plenty of people who've had terrible thoughts of killing themselves, even made plans to kill themselves and never went through with it and cannot imagine ever having those thoughts again. There are plenty of people who recover and are healed from those terrible dark thoughts and they're in a significantly better place and it they never go back to those dark thoughts. In fact, they have moments where they think, I don't even know why I would have ever had those terrible thoughts of killing myself. For some people, they may struggle with it. There are people, again, everybody's life story is completely different. So there are people who have thought about killing themselves. They get themselves out of that dark place and they're doing pretty well. Maybe they go back to that dark place. When you're talking to someone who's really struggling with something, don't minimize their problems. Whatever the struggle is, it's real, it's now. I don't care if you think it's something that isn't that big of a deal. Whenever you minimize the problem, that leaves the person closed off and they're going to internalize their feelings. They need someone to vent to, they need someone to trust in that moment. So please stay away from language such as that's not a big deal or you'll just get over it. Never shame that person. Don't become argumentative. You're not them. So make sure you never place any sort of shameful feelings on them. And also stay away from interjecting your own feelings or opinions about suicide. Too often, if someone says life isn't worth living, I don't even know why I'm alive, someone else may reply with, well, that's stupid. If you can't, killing yourself isn't an answer. What are you saying? That's ridiculous. Or, okay, fine. You know what? You're right. Just go ahead and kill yourself. Unfortunately, people say that language. When someone is talking about life isn't worth living and it's not worth going on, you need to take them that they are telling the truth. So far, we've talked a lot about having a conversation with someone, but let me be clear, not everyone is going to be able to tell if someone is having suicidal thoughts through a conversation. It also goes beyond that. What is the person's habits? How are they doing at work? What's their day-to-day life behavior and how has it changed? A lot of people who have suicidal thoughts or are thinking about killing themselves, they stop caring necessarily about their appearance. After all, life isn't worth living, so why do they need to look good? Why do they necessarily need to shower or cut their hair or brush their teeth or change their clothes? And so some red flags are certainly in the appearance of the individual to say this person's no longer caring for themselves and and really what's going on. Going up to with an individual that used to be well kept together and seemingly okay, but now looks like they're lacking in sleep and their actual appearance seems a little disheveled. Going up to them and saying, are you okay because you don't seem like yourself and I'm just concerned is a great way to sort of start that conversation. It's a hard conversation and getting someone to open up, there's no perfect solution to that. But just saying to them, listen, I'm here for you if you ever want to talk, it puts the idea into their head that even if they don't want to talk to you in that moment, they know you saw something in them that wasn't the same, that caused you to voice concern and that inevitably you voice that concern because they care. Sometimes that means all the difference in the world. 
The other thing we that can be red flags is just in their behavior. If it was somebody that always showed up to work on time and now is showing up late or they're angry or they don't seem to care about their job performance or they seem more forgetful or they're staring off into space, if they seem despondent, if they seem sad, if they seem walled off, all of these should sort of be red flags. And again, let me state that just because someone seems depressed or is struggling with anxiety does not mean that they're going to kill themselves. But it is of a concern that we need to check in with them. We need to maybe reach out to a close family member and say, I'm really concerned about so-and-so because of X, Y, and Z. They're coming in late or we were supposed to meet and they didn't show up and they didn't even call and that's not like them. So what's going on with their behavior? And another thing that unfortunately individuals who are thinking about ending their life do is that they start making end of life preparations. They start giving away their belongings. They stop making plans. They used to go out all the time and make reservations for, you know, maybe concerts or movies and now they just don't care. So all of these little things can clue somebody in that someone's not doing very well and that they're not in a good mental state. There are plenty of people who struggle with mental health and let me repeat, not all of them are thinking of killing themselves. But if you're seeing someone struggling with mental health, we have to stop being uncomfortable with approaching that individual and asking how they're doing. Too often, again, people think I've got to fix this person's problems and I don't have time to be a therapist. That's not what they want you to do. They just want you to listen and they want you to care. And some of these people may get very defensive. No, I'm fine. But you need to keep asking, are you sure you're okay? I'm just really concerned. I'm here for you. So how do we handle an individual who has expressed that life may not be worth living or you have some great concerns? And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Amy, there's some people who just want to draw attention to themselves. Okay. Let's dive into that. So I am a mental health first aid instructor. And so the the tools and the tips I'm giving to you are largely based off of these trainings, but also many other trainings from mental health websites. If you feel like the person isn't in immediate danger, please offer to work with them to get them some help. Say something like, I'm here for you, let's find you help. What you are going through sounds really difficult and I want to find you the appropriate help. So certainly there's always the mental health professional. And for a lot of workplaces, they offer things like employee assistance programs. These are toll-free numbers that you can call and at least get pointed in the right direction. You're not going to get all of the advice or all the problems fixed from your employee assistance program, but it's usually a component of the health care that's being provided by your employer. So that's a really good place to start to at least have some direction to get pointed into an appropriate mental health professional. You can always always offer to go to the appointment with them. Say, I know it's hard to talk to someone. I'm here for you. If you want me to go with you, I will. Ask if they can have talked to someone like a loved one, a family member, a friend. Have you talked to so-and-so? They really seem to care about you and I'm sure they would be here for you as much as I will be here for you if you let them know. The more support for this particular individual, the better. So how can we tell if this person is truly thinking about killing themselves 
versus, and I hate to say it because I don't like using this language, but unfortunately many of you have said this, they're attention seeking. And I put bunny ears around that because we need to pull that right out of our language. For everyone who says, oh, they're just attention seeking, you're causing unfortunately the stigma of talking about mental health to continue. You're saying, oh, it's not okay to talk about your feelings. Whatever you're going through, it can't be that big of a deal. Just please stop doing it. It's not appropriate. They are going through something and in that moment, if they're struggling enough, we need to help them get that help. So here's a question that's very uncomfortable, but I want you to get comfortable saying it. Have you made plans to kill yourself? That hits hard, doesn't it? When I was going through this instructor level training, oh God, that just stabs you right in the heart. You don't want to have to say that. I mean, do we have to say it that way? Yes, we have to say it that way. And there's a very good reason why we have to say it that way. There's no dancing around it. There's no sugarcoating it. It's out there on the table. Have you made plans to kill yourself? You see too often when someone is struggling, someone else, well-meaning, may say things like, well, are you thinking about hurting yourself? No, do you think you're doing all right? Do you think you are going to do anything silly? What does that mean? None of that is clear. And so for people who are great at faking it, oh, I'm fine, I'm doing just fine. But when you ask the direct question, have you made plans to kill yourself? Generally speaking, there's one of two ways that question will get answered. For individuals who have no suicidal thoughts or tendencies, they have absolutely never thought about killing themselves. They are probably going to react violently against that statement. They may say something like, are you serious? Why are you asking me that? Of course I'm not thinking of killing myself. Why would you say that? Because that's the violent answer that a non-suicidal person would give. They will be shocked. They will be upset that you asked that question because how dare you ask that question? They're not doing that bad. But for somebody who is having suicidal thoughts and thinking about killing themselves, they generally have a tell. And not everybody. This is not a perfect 100%. Everybody's going to answer it the same way. But for someone who's thinking about killing themselves... A lot of times the answer is, well, not today. Or maybe, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm fine. Or, I mean, I don't don't really, that's a silly question. Yeah. So for people who are thinking about killing themselves, they're going to hesitate a little bit. They may say things like, not today. They may actually say, yes, I've thought about it. And then what do you do with that answer? So the big thing you need to do is this is an emergency. A suicidal person needs to see a doctor or a mental health professional immediately. Please do not think that you have the toolboxes or the resources to talk this person off the ledge and solve all their problems. You, unless you are a trained mental health provider, unless you actually are a a counselor, a psychologist, or someone who actually holds a degree in mental health, do not think you can do this alone. You need to get help. This is an emergency. Think of this as an animal arresting. This is the moments right before that they are trying to die. And this is what this person is going through. They have indicated 
that they are thinking about killing themselves. This is absolutely a human life emergency. So if they have stated that they have a plan to hurt or kill themselves or that life isn't worth living and maybe not today, or you feel that they're in immediate danger, you need to stay with that person. Don't let them leave by themselves. If there is someone else around you that they can go ahead and call 911, please say to that person, can you call 911? I'm going to stay with him or her. If you have that ability to call yourself, please do so. Or say to the individual, I care about you. This saddens me that you said that. I want to get you help. Can we please go to the hospital together? Can we please go talk to someone together? I'm not leaving you. And if they say, no, I'm fine, I'm leaving, I'm going home, that's when you call 911. And I hear this all the time. Well, Amy, they might have been just attention seeking. Oh, here we are again with that crap. Okay. If they are attention seeking and you call 911, they're still having a mental health crisis. They're down a very dark rabbit hole and you need to help that individual. And if you truly believe that they are thinking of killing themselves or that they have suicidal thoughts running through their head in that moment, then I would rather have that person angry with me for the rest of my life than to regret not calling 911 and having that person dead. Yes, that person might be very angry with you and you they may never talk to you again, but at least they are alive. And too often we sit there and debate, oh, I don't want them to think, you know, that I'm overreacting. Whenever anyone has any thought about killing themselves or suggest it, we have to take it seriously. And I know a lot of you are thinking, well, they might be kidding about it. There's no joking when it comes to suicide. Nothing is funny about it. So if they are joking about it, well, that's sick and twisted. And I guess they're going to have a conversation with the fire and the ambulance and the police that show up to manage the situation as to why they would joke about it. Because I guarantee you the fire, the police and the ambulance don't think it's funny either. So what happens if you're on the phone with somebody or texting someone and you're getting some really horrible vibes and you message that person, are you thinking about killing yourselves? And then the phone goes silent. If you can, if you can stay connected with that person, just say, when do you think you're doing this? How do you think you're doing this? Take a vested interest in their plans especially if they have said that they have plans. Listen to them. Keep them on the phone. Keep them messaging. Keep them uh, texting. Whatever that is, say things like, I want to see you. Or can your friend X, Y, and Z come over and stay with you? Keep reassuring them. Keep messaging. Even if the phone falls silent, I'm here for you. I want to help you. And then if you're able to, again, call 911, their last known location, and say, I'm really concerned. My friend is not getting a hold of me. And I am concerned that they may commit suicide. And lastly, you should have this phone number in your phone posted on your hospital walls, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-TALK. Or the actual numbers are one 800 Two seven three eight two five five. Again, that's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. 
There's one idea I want to share with you of ways to disseminate this information in your veterinary hospitals. Um, and I can't take credit for this. Actually, this was an amazing idea by Lori Harbert, who works as a licensed social worker for Blue Pearl, a fantastic individual who came up with this idea, but I want to scream it to the world because it's absolutely brilliant. In our veterinary hospitals, a lot of people will put up suicide prevention awareness posters or information about suicide prevention. And those are very important, but they often get overlooked or you see them and then you forget about them. She suggests hanging them in your bathroom. I know that sounds so strange, but think about it. It's in your face. You're having to look at it. The information's right there. The other important thing is individuals who are struggling with suicidal thoughts or thoughts about killing themselves, they don't usually want other people to know. And so if you wanted to write down that number, if you wanted to take a picture of a QR code or make sure that you write something down on that poster, people are going to watch you. And so it's uncomfortable. But if you hang it in the bathroom and you are in need of help and that poster has help lifeline numbers, you can take a picture with your cell phone or jot down the number in the privacy of the bathroom. Another great resource is actually a training called QPR Institute. It's called Question, Persuade, and Refer. This is a free training. And if you look at the description of this podcast, you will see all these resources listed. If you go to qprinstitute.com, please check out the Gatekeeper Training. It's amazing. It's about opening up that conversation, ways of identifying people who are struggling, pretty much all the information that I gave you. It's meant to be clear, concise, and efficient. And it's similar in the sense that they compare it to CPR. They say that QPR is an emergency response to someone in a crisis and can save lives. In fact, it's one of the most widely taught trainings in the world to opening up that conversation about suicide prevention and awareness. So definitely please check out QPR Institute. It's a fantastic training and I think everyone in the veterinary hospital should take it. So in the beginning of this podcast, I alluded to my own struggle about 20-something years ago with depression and anxiety and being in a really dark place. And I said that I would provide some insight into just sort of how I've managed through that. So the first thing I just want to say is it's not easy. I think people who are struggling with depression or anxiety or being in a really dark place or having suicidal thoughts or thoughts of killing themselves... It feels so dark and like you can't get out of it. It takes a long time to heal the mind. And I think we're so used to wanting things here and now that we don't realize that it does take time and it takes a lot of work and effort in order to improve your mental health, in order to really get yourself out of those dark places. And what works for me doesn't necessarily work for anyone else. But for me, I started kind of diagnosing and looking at it from a very analytical standpoint. Why was I feeling sad? Why was I being angry with the world? Why was I upset and crying a lot? And how could I get a better mindset? This is going to come as a surprise to many of my friends and family, but I actually studied a lot of Buddhism. It wasn't anything that I ever had in my teenage years, but for my young adult life, I really wanted to dive into just that mental state, that meditative state, and really getting to know who I was as a person. I kept a journal of a lot of thoughts and wrote down really what made me happy, what didn't make me happy, and then analyzed those thoughts and then tried to fill my life with more of the happy things. It's not easy. When I look over my journal entries, I went from someone who 
really was in a super dark, scary place to someone who genuinely was happy, but it took five years to get there. And in those years of where I was struggling, I had a lot of really great friends who were a huge support group without even knowing that they were a support group. They were the individuals who listened, who genuinely cared about me, who said it would get better, who offered to go with me to therapy if they thought that I needed it or if I thought that I needed it. They never pushed me, they never berated me, and they never made me feel bad about the way I was feeling. And that made all the difference in the world. And so when we look at someone who's struggling, we think again, well, I I don't know how, I don't have an answer and I can't fix them. That's not your job. And I can't stress that enough. If we can just be there and listen to them, if we can just be a, a good ear and a kind heart, sometimes that means all the world to that individual and can really truly make a difference. We have to reduce the stigma of not wanting to talk to people because we're afraid of the fact that we might not be able to solve their problems or afraid of what happens if they tell me something scary or how am I going to react to that or I don't know how to fix that problem. Instead, we need to have these courageous conversations. We need to open up our hearts and open up our minds to embracing having a conversation about feelings, about how someone is doing with their mental health. We, you know, when someone breaks their leg, and this is something that they talk to you about in that mental health first aid course, when someone breaks their leg, we often say to that person, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And we give great compassion to that person. And we say, well, when are you going to get better? Uh, Is there anything I can do for you? Can I help you out? But when someone says I'm depressed or I'm sad or I'm struggling with my mental health, most people fall silent. Instead, why can't those same things apply to someone who's struggling with mental health? Why can't we say the same things and say something like, I'm so sorry that you're going through that? Is there anything I can do to help? And the other thing that never gets addressed is recovery. What can I do to help move you past this? How can we get you to recover? Because we often think that when someone is depressed, they're going to stay depressed. And that's not the conversation we should be having. Instead of that type of conversation, how can we get this person to recover? And what are the tools and resources we can get to them to help them do that? Pointing them in the direction, certainly, of a trained professional is one of the biggest things that we can do in order to help that individual in that moment. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I want to list that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number again. It is 1-800-273-TALK. It's 1-800-273-8255. And let me repeat again, I am not a trained mental health professional. So please, I encourage you, if you are struggling, please seek the opinion of someone who is schooled, who is educated, and who is trained in that. That is not me. The purpose of this podcast is to bring awareness, to bring open a conversation that needs to be open and not be behind closed doors like it has been for so many years. I want to make sure that people has a little bit of awareness of signs and symptoms to look for, but also what to do in the event that they truly are concerned that someone might be thinking about committing suicide and killing themselves. And I want to give you guys tools and resources to bring into your hospitals that are practical, but I can't stress enough that none of that will help unless we start the conversation. Thank you again for listening. Please check out all my other vlogs, blogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com. Thank you for all that you do and keep on being a unicorn.